welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Well, hi there. My name's Jeff Brody from Connexus Church, and I'm so excited to be with The Well this morning as we jump into part two of our series, The Road to Imperfection. Now, my son Carter was at a new school this year, and I was driving him there every morning. Now, there are multiple routes that we can take, but one is clearly the fastest. It's a new route to me, but it's definitely the most efficient. It heads directly from the school to our home with the least amount of lights and the least amount of stops. However, there's a longer route that I'm actually more familiar with. It goes by my office, and so I naturally want to go that way after I drop him off. I used to drive that way every day before this new school. It was still kind of my default. And after six weeks into the school year, on some days when I was kind of driving on mental autopilot, I still accidentally headed down the longer route without even thinking. I'd have to do a U-turn and go back the more efficient way home to try to retrain my brain. I was breaking the pattern of automatically heading down the road I was familiar with. It's a reminder of what you and I are talking about in this series, The Road to Imperfection. When you choose to surrender your life to Jesus, you find your home and your identity in him. In fact, at that moment, God sees you as his son or his daughter. But why doesn't he just take you up to heaven right then? Because his goal for you isn't a destination. It's transformation. A relationship with God that changes you. His goal is to continue to make you more and more like Jesus. Not because you need to earn anything, but because he wants to transform you into Jesus' likeness. Your new home in him comes with a new road. God sees us as perfect through the forgiveness we have in Jesus, and he loves us enough that he's working towards making us perfect, and we'll ultimately get to that point in eternity. We're already accepted, and now on a road from imperfection to perfection. Now, we started to talk about that in part one, and if you missed it, you'll want to go back and check that message out. This series is all about leaving behind old patterns, old roads, or old routes, and establishing new patterns and new roads, because our destination is our home in God. Theologians call this process sanctification. And when it comes to breaking old patterns, or destructive or hurtful patterns, or just ineffective patterns, one of the hardest things to deal with are your emotions. When you think about it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are things that trigger you emotionally, and sometimes they trigger you every single time. Let's see if you resonate with any of these. Someone leaves their dirty plate on the counter right above the empty dishwasher instead of putting that dish in the dishwasher. Do you feel that emotionally? Someone leaves wet clothes in the washing machine when you go to use it. Do you feel that? Someone pees on the toilet seat before you use it. I think we all feel that. They always leave the car with no gas in it. Okay, here's one. Someone leaves the milk jug in the fridge empty. Any of these elicit an emotional response in you? 
Okay, what about these? You work so hard and they're never grateful. You can never make them happy. He always promises but never delivers. She's always too tired to have sex. No matter how hard you try, it's never enough for her. They're always late. You're always on time. You know you shouldn't do blank, but you keep failing. Feel anything emotionally now? How do I know? Because you and I and everybody has emotional patterns, the ways we react emotionally. The business world really understands this. There's an entire industry called emotional marketing. A UK-based advertising agency did a study of 1,400 cases of successful advertising campaigns. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to compare the results of rationally-based advertising campaigns against emotionally-based ones. Here's what they found out. The campaigns that were emotionally based produced double the profit gains of those that were rationally based. Our emotions are strong and they drive us to action and we all wrestle with them in different ways every single day. The pull of the candy bar or a chapstick at the cash register. The red notification button on your phone that you just have to click. The constant need to want to stop for coffee or comforting yourself with your favorite junk food or losing it on your kids or committing to a house payment that's a little too big, buying too much car, porn, online gambling. You don't want to wear a mask or they don't wear a mask. The list could go on. You respond to so many of these things in your life emotionally, even impulsively. Now, here's the problem with that. Culture knows that you respond emotionally. There's power in your emotions. Power that others can leverage for their own purpose. So as you listen to music, or read your news feed, or play the new Call of Duty, or watch Netflix, there's a constant intent to manipulate your emotions. And if you aren't careful, you can spend your life reacting to everything emotionally, going with the flow, and just following the same patterns. We can become cookie-cutter people who fall into the trap of consumption, broken relationships, FOMO, false fame, fake news, real news, fake real news. Even a life of success but not significance is a trap in itself. Bottom line, so many of us feel emotionally worn down and bankrupt of meaning. How do you overcome that? How do you break that pattern as culture pushes it on us? How do we fight back? Here's the thing. While it might have new forms or methods, this struggle is not new. In a letter written to Christians in Rome, an incredibly smart leader named the Apostle Paul wrote a few lines specifically that are full of wisdom and power and help us to understand how to break free of our emotional patterns, how we can rewire ourselves and our emotional responses. Are you ready for that? I hope so. Here's what he writes. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. He says that in Romans 12. 
Okay, so whether you would or wouldn't call yourself a Christian, there's so much great stuff to unpack here already. So let me help you. First of all, what sticks out to me is that Paul doesn't command anything. And if you know Paul's other letters in the Bible, you know he wasn't afraid to tell you like it is. But here, instead, he pleads. Some translations say he urges, but he doesn't command. He's saying, I'm not telling you that you have to do this, but I'm begging you because I believe it's in your best interest. And then he urges you and I to do something. He urges us to give our bodies to God as a sacrifice because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, clearly that needs some explanation. Sacrificing animals to God wasn't uncommon in the period when this letter was written. It's something that people did when they looked for redemption or forgiveness of wrongdoings. It was a part of their culture. What's crazy about what Paul is writing here is that you, your life, is to be a living sacrifice. Some translators actually say the original text means a living killing. Paul is purposely juxtaposing these two words, a living death. What's Paul getting at here? He's getting at our motivation. What motivates you to change? He's saying, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, look at your day-to-day -day life as an act of worship. Don't be swayed by emotional patterns, but be motivated and focused out of gratitude for what God did for you. How does he say to do that? Put to death your emotionally destructive patterns and decisions, your old emotionally distracted way of living, your old poor choices, and do all of this motivated as an act of gratitude and worship to God. It's very intense and it's also very freeing. Paul's saying, free yourself from these things, not just so it helps you, but out of a desire to worship Jesus. That's the motivation here. If you are motivated to change your destructive emotional patterns out of gratitude of what Jesus did for you, that will help you have the discipline to do this. That's what will keep you moving forward. Now, if you don't call yourself a Christian, you still worship. You're living your life in worship to something or to someone, someone who you want to please, an ideal you want to meet, or maybe a ladder you need to climb. The thing or person that you prioritize more than anything or anyone else is what or who you worship. As I look back on my life, I can see some of the good choices that would have been different if I hadn't tried to be faithful to Jesus, even when something was emotionally scary or uncomfortable. I wouldn't have ended up leaving home midsummer to serve at a camp, falling in love with it, and spending five summers learning what leadership could be all about. I wouldn't have ended up connecting with a woman named Leslie and eventually marrying her. I wouldn't have left teaching for full-time ministry 20 years ago or left my previous job to be part of a unique thing that God is doing through our church at Connexus if I wasn't motivated to be faithful to Jesus regardless of my emotions. Even at our church, our team wouldn't have launched an online ministry or church partnerships or multiple locations. So many people would have missed out on meeting Jesus. All of these things came out of a clarity and a freedom 
that comes from people focusing on worshiping Jesus with their decisions and their actions, not their emotions. I also look back at times when I didn't obey a calling. I didn't apply a scriptural principle or listen to a prompting or share my faith in Christ or choose to be patient with my kids. When I spoke harshly or did something selfish or made a decision out of selfish ambition or greed, when I didn't worship with my actions, I wonder when I did those things what I missed out on. What Paul is saying When you live your life to worship, you do the things that are really worth it. It brings greater meaning to your life. It's the road you were designed to be on. Okay, now you're likely asking, how, Jeff, how? How do I change my patterns as a way of worship? I see that I want to do it and I need to do it, but how do I do it? Well, then Paul goes on to explain how to do it in verse 2. This gets even better. So you need to lean in. He says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Now, some translations here say, don't conform to the pattern of this world. I love this. Paul is saying that when you choose to follow Jesus, you want to live a life for him. It's a life of cultural nonconformity, a life of choosing to live a different way with a goal of looking more like Jesus. Get out of the cookie cutter. Swim against the flow. Don't give in to the cultural hype, Paul would say. That's exactly the kind of thing we're talking about in this series. What does it mean to break my pattern, to take the road towards becoming like Jesus? You're probably still asking, how, Paul? How? How do you live like this? How do you break patterns? He goes on to say, but let God transform you into a new person. Now, okay. At this point, honestly, I'm skeptical. Let God transform you. I mean, this sounds kind of hairy-fairy. It sounds like, you know, let go and let God. I'm not sure I'm buying it yet. But okay, Paul, what if I let God transform me? How is he even going to do that? What does that actually even look like? Here's what Paul says. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, there are two key facets to this section I want to tackle. The first is God's desire to change us by changing the way we think, by encouraging our mind in recognizing the patterns of this world, the temptation to get caught in the cookie cutter, go with the flow lifestyle, make decisions emotionally, and to start to think differently. To be able to act in faith knowing what God would have us do versus giving in to emotional patterns of dealing with everything. As we discussed earlier, just because we feel something or don't doesn't mean it helps us to move forward. We need to think and behave differently. Twelve years ago, when my wife Leslie and I made the decision to follow God's call to Conexus, it wasn't a part of our budget plan. We just had our second baby and Leslie was on maternity leave. Now, we had some debt on a credit card and I'm a bit embarrassed to say that we weren't really that financially generous. We were kind of just going with the flow, making emotional decisions about our money. Then we had costs associated with our move to Barrie. Then the furnace, the fridge and the dishwasher in our new house died on the very same 
week. That ended up increasing our credit card debt even more. And it was a pain to keep on top of the debt and it just kept growing. Now, most of our friends weren't giving to the church. They weren't giving to any charity and they too were living on a growing pile of debt, usually more debt than us. We were just doing what they did, going with the flow, following the emotionally driven pattern of our culture. Get what you want now, borrow and spend, spend and borrow, give a little, spend a lot. It was not long after that that Connexus hosted something called a financial learning experience for the very first time. We signed up and we learned a lot about the fact that God wanted us to live with financial margin so we could live on mission with him, so we could be generous. Now, I'll never forget that night and the conversation we had on the way home. We immediately sat down and made a plan to start our giving at 10% of our income and aggressively pay off our debt. I was both excited and not excited about this at the same time. We weren't sure how we would do it and we knew it was going to be incredibly hard. I honestly wasn't sure where the giving funds were going to come from, but we knew we wanted to be generous people and we were passionate about being on mission with our church. We just had to change the pattern of our thinking. We needed to stop making our financial decisions emotionally and renew our mind, just like Paul's talking about. Fast forward to now, and not only have we been able to give 10%, but we've been able to choose radical generosity beyond that, which has been so fun, all because God's Spirit prompted us to change our pattern and renew our minds years ago. I'm not going to say it was easy or without sacrifice. It didn't always feel comfortable. It always took discipline. Waiting until we'd saved to buy something or buying many of the things that we bought used instead of new was hard when our friends were just financing everything to the max and having the best of the best. And following a budget didn't feel very easy or very fun. We just had to choose a different mindset, to think differently, to look at what scripture had to say about our finances, despite my emotions. You know what does feel good? When Leslie and I see lives change in our church and we know we've financially contributed to seeing that happen. Seeing our church get behind those in need in our city financially. Stories of lives changed by Jesus and seeing people baptized feels great. Launching locations and seeing kids and students grow up to love Jesus feels amazing. Being able to see our church impact people online over COVID. And I know firsthand that your church is making an impact and reaching people in your community as well. And when you and I give generously to the mission of the church, we're choosing to be a part of that. Leslie and I chose to break an emotionally driven spending pattern and instead chose to live with margin so that we could live on mission and choose generosity in our lives. And we don't regret it for one second. We talk about these types of scriptural mindsets all the time at our church. Here are a few examples and maybe they'll make you think of some of the examples at your church. Living with margins so you can live on mission. That's one principle. That God wants you to live a life of generosity and purpose, not of possessions and payments. Here's another one. A surrendered sex life is the best sex life. 
A mindset like that forces different patterns of thinking. When we look to Jesus for the purpose of our sex life, we think differently about it. Suddenly, sex isn't about selfish pleasure, but about honoring our spouse or a future spouse by keeping sex within our marriage relationship. Here's one that breaks the power of worry. Worship is the antidote to worry. When we feel the gap of the unknown in our life, we don't spiral trying to take control of it, but we first trust the one who we know is in control. What about your power is made perfect in humility? Well, culture says that the purpose of power is to pridefully get our way. Jesus says it is to serve others in humility. Here's a countercultural relational one. Like is an emotion. Love is a decision. That maybe in our relationships, love isn't an elusive emotional hole that we try to fill by taking, 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 but a decision we make to give our lives away every day. These are such challenging things to do in the face of emotion, these scriptural principles. And we feel the pull towards the patterns of this world. We look around and we want to go with the flow to make decisions that fit in with our culture. Why is it so hard for us to live differently, even though it has more meaning? It's because we don't like hard things. That's part of it. We feel that emotionally, but we need to choose and think differently to renew our minds. It's also a trust issue. When we see the culture around us headed one way, we wonder if maybe God's got it wrong and maybe we should head a different way. I mean, can we really trust him? That's what the second part of the verse is about. Then you will know God's will for your life, his good and pleasing and perfect will. What Paul is pointing out is that God has your best interest in mind. Always. Even when it doesn't feel that way. And here's where I want to take a moment and talk about the importance of reading your Bible. Because I think people make a critical mistake on this. So listen up. Is the Bible full of incredible principles and truths for your life? Absolutely. In fact, if you don't believe in God, I encourage you to try reading it anyway. I think you'll get a ton out of it. And let's be honest, you read things you don't believe in all the time. So why not give it a try? Now, the Bible app, you can get that on your phone. It's an incredible place to start. But there's something else besides great principles, something more significant than you might expect. Reading scripture is about getting to know more about who God is, what he's like, who is this Jesus who walked the earth? What is he like? How does he see things? How did he live? It's an opportunity to get to know God and what he's all about. How he sees the world. Maybe more importantly, how he sees you. And here's why that's important. Because principles are fine, but here's the real question. Do you trust the one who embodies these truths and promises? You see, faith is acting on who you know over what you feel. It's not just that you trust the guidelines and the principles that you've been given as helpful as they are, but you trust the one who actually gave them, even when you don't feel like it. When my kids were very young, I always did their first swimming lessons with them. I was usually the only dad in the class because I had the flexibility to be the parent who went to these classes with them. 
as my brother-in-law would say, that's one of the perks of being a pastor, that I only work on Sundays. Anyhow, part of the lesson was standing my sons on the side of the pool and then getting them to jump in on their own into my arms. Now, I have my own childhood trauma around swimming lessons. So this moment was always a bit emotionally loaded for me. With arms outstretched as my son stood on the side of the pool, I would encourage him, Gavin, jump in. I'll catch you. Come on, jump. Daddy's got you. Daddy's got you. Now, did my son jump because he wasn't afraid? No. Did he jump because he knew I had the muscle mass to catch him? No. Did he jump because he thought it would be comfortable? No. Because he had all the facts? No. So why did he jump? He jumped because he trusts his dad. Here's the thing. Do not miss this because I want this for you so badly. You can give me a hundred justifications or a hundred emotions about why you don't want to change your pattern of looking at porn or sleeping with your girlfriend or why you aren't financially generous or why you're in too much debt or why you control your kids or cheat on your taxes or why you drink too much or why you're angry all the time or why you're passive aggressive. Why you don't want to change the decisions you're making or the pattern with which you approach your life. But what it really comes down to is this. Do you trust your heavenly father? I didn't step out into ministry or start giving sacrificially because it felt easy or because I had it all together, but because I trusted the one who was behind the promises and the principles in scripture. Trusting that God has your best interest in mind, that he wants what's best for you, that he has a purpose and a plan for you. Listen, God will accept you as you are and forgive you of your sin. He'll do that today. I'm not here to tell you this to make you feel guilty. I'm telling you this because he wants more for you, more than going with the flow, more than the patterns of this world, more than doing what everyone else in our culture is doing. He wants to renew your mind so that you can know his will, his good and pleasing and perfect will for you. Listen, in this moment, can we just get real for one second about your life? You know what your patterns are. You know what emotions drive them. And you want to stop them. How do you stop your unhealthy emotional patterns? Faith is acting based on who you know over what you feel. Decide to trust that God knows what's best. Decide to be motivated by making a change that worships him. Decide to think differently, to push against the culture, to read your Bible, to renew your mind. Let's pray. God, we come to you and we know that we have unhealthy emotional patterns where we make decisions that aren't honoring to you, that aren't what you want for us, aren't what you want for our family. And I pray that your spirit would identify those in each of our lives right now in this moment. And that we would continue to renew our mind 
and make the decisions we need to make to change those patterns. Why? Because we trust in you. And maybe there are some who are trusting for the very first time. And some of us who are being reminded that maybe we don't trust in you the way that we know that we should. Thank you that we can trust in you because we know that you see us as perfect and we're fully known and we're fully loved by you. Help us to change the patterns of our minds so that we can live according to what you want for each of us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Next week, we'll be looking at how the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to make these changes as you pursue the road of being perfect while being made perfect by God. We'll see you then.